Hey guys, here we go. Uh, my name is Shane Blanchard. Welcome to Focus on the Warrior. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, I've got a couple guys tonight and uh, it's going to be good, man. These are two people that donated a kidney to me. Uh, one person did it indirectly through the National Kidney Registry, giving me a living voucher. And the other guy went under the knife and his kidney went from his body right into my body. So uh, what a wonderful thing that we're going to talk about tonight and all the great things that God's doing for these guys now. And uh, I can't I can't wait to bring them on and for you guys to meet them. Uh, just so you guys know, I am a three time kidney transplant recipient myself. I did have my first transplant back in 1997 and here I am now 47 years old. So it's been about 25 years for me that I've been dealing with this. And Midwest Kidney Warriors is my organization. And what we do is we help advocate for those looking for a kidney donor. And that's one of the reasons I created Focus on the Warrior. So we could bring people on here that can share their stories with people out there that are in their communities and their towns. And hopefully somebody comes forward and donates and saves their life. But right now I got to bring on two guys. These are my personal heroes. This is going to be uh, Jeremy Hauser and Brad Hendrickson. And uh, thank you both. I greatly appreciate you guys coming on tonight and being here with me. Sure. Thanks for having us on, Shane. Glad to be here. Yeah. So let me start off first and uh, just have you guys kind of talk a little bit about yourself, which what maybe you're doing for a living, your family, things like that. Just some real quick introductions. And I'll start with Brad since he was the first donor. How's that? All right. Well, uh, I'm Brad Hendrickson. For those of you who don't know me, um, been a long time friend of Shane. Uh, we've been friends since we were in the seventh grade. So it's been a long time. Um, I live in Batavia, Iowa, and uh, I work at an elementary school and deal with second grade to fourth grade students. And I also have a uh, ministry that I do that deals with uh, teenage kids. And my wife and I, we have uh, 10 granddaughters and six, six children between us. So we stay busy. Yeah, I would imagine with 10 grandchildren, that's good. <laughs> Woo! All right, that's an expensive Christmas, man. Okay, Jeremy, go ahead, man. Well, hi, I'm Jeremy Hauser, and uh, I am Shane's cousin. I've been his cousin for quite a while now, for um, about 45 years. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I live in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, I've got a wife and three boys. Um, we're in the middle of birthday season so make sure i get these birthdays ages right we're 13 11 and 9 at this point and uh but we'll soon to be 14 and 12 coming up in the next couple months um, i work for the fdic and uh coach a lot of youth sports on the side when i'm not working so we stay busy but not as busy as brad with six children and 10 grandchildren <laughs> Yeah, I would imagine so. So let's just, in general, guys, I mean, you both, I know you both donated a kidney towards me because we're friends and we're family, but what really put you over to where you wanted to donate a kidney? I mean, how did you come to that final decision? And I'll let whichever one of you go that want to go first. Uh, go ahead, Jeremy. Well, for me, it was... Uh... It was something that I'd always thought about. Shane and I were close growing up as youths. Um, he's a couple years older than me, but uh, I always admired him and his brother and their sports uh, activities that they did, followed them. And we were real close. So the first time that Shane's kidneys failed, I think I was a freshman in college at the time, just started my freshman year of college. And uh, his brother hadn't qualified yet, or they didn't know if his brother was a donor. And at the time I'd approached my mom about 
becoming a donor or considering being a donor candidate for Shane at that point, um, because I thought if I could help him uh, live, that was what I wanted to do. Um, fortunately, then Todd was a match. Um, and so we went that right. He, he went with his brother. Um, and then this time around, it was a little bit different circumstances. I was older, I have a family, I've got young kids of my own. So I had to do a little bit more research um, on the process. But watching Shane go through his uh, dialysis and, and his daily routine after his, um, when he was on dialysis every day, just was really tough for me to watch. And I thought there's got to be a better way and still something I can do. So after doing some research, um, I just kind of felt that calling again to uh, step forward. And if I could help Shane to do that and, and, uh, and donate a kidney, if that would work, whether directly or indirectly, which obviously mine had to go the indirect route, as Shane mentioned earlier. But yeah, we'll get into that a little bit more as we go here. Um, but go ahead, Brad. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, when I met, when I met you, Shane, you know, you were always, always full of life <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, you know, went through middle school and high school together and, you know, for me at that time, um, I didn't realize how serious, um, it was. And so I think at that time I was, I was just getting married and, uh, stuff like that. So I didn't realize how, uh, serious shape you were in. I didn't get to see that part. I saw you after the kidney uh, transplant, after you were starting to get back on your feet. And so uh, years later, seeing how you were with the new kidney and with Todd's kidney and seeing that. And then when it started to fail, I started to see the huge difference in how you acted and how you lived. And that really, that really uh, spoke to me of how serious that is and how much it affects a person. I didn't really uh, know how much it affected somebody. Um, it changed your whole lifestyle. And so seeing you start going downhill and being tired and not being able to function, um, that made me stop and think. And so I just, I thought, you know, I'll see if I'm a match. And so um, I started the process and sure enough, it was a pretty good, uh, pretty good percentage of a match that we had. And, and I had to double check with my wife and make sure she was okay with it, you know, and in the back of my head, it was a scary thing, but, um, you know, I, I'm, and we'll tell more of the story here as we go, but, um, even through the complications, if I had an extra kidney, I would have done it over again because, um, it means that much. It really does. It means that much. And you can save a life. If you have if you're healthy and you can save a life to me, it's worth a shot. Yeah. And there's no words that I could ever uh, ex express to thank you guys enough for what you have done for me and the way that I'm feeling today. Um, you know, I'm a little bit uh, chunkier, but I'm a heck of a lot healthier and a heck of a lot happier. And uh, it's thanks to what you guys have done for me that I'm in the position I am now that I can help people going through what I went through and I truly feel this is God's calling on my life. And uh, I never thought it was before. And I just fell into this through meeting people out there like uh, Jonathan trailer, who's watching and uh, you know, Jeffrey Brown and Jared Brown and uh, Kent Bressler from uh, kidney solutions. These, these guys have just been people that's kind of got me to where I'm at now to be able to do this for people. And I can't thank you guys enough. I mean, you can see, your blessing at work through me for what you've done for me, the both of you. And I, I greatly appreciate that. And so if 
if I can make a difference in other people's lives, then it falls back to where you guys get that credit because of what you've done for me. So um, I, I do want to talk a little bit about your process that you guys went through. That's probably really similar. Now, Brad and I went through Des Moines at Iowa Methodist, and then Jeremy and I went through University of Iowa Hospital and Clinic. So the process is virtually the same about everywhere, but there are some things that are different when it comes to qualifying and stuff. And Brad, since you donated first, we can start off with kind of like, what was your process like? What kind of testing did you have to do? Was there a lot of labs? Was there a lot of, did you have to collect some urine stuff? I mean, did you have to, you know, get like, just were you put through the ringer or what? Um, well, compared to what, you know, if you, if you'd never really had to do a lot of tests before, it was, <laughs> it was a lot of testing. Uh, you know, at first it was just checking to see if you were a match and then you had to check the function of your kidneys and, and the urine output and, you know, getting those containers to fill up to see your urine output. That was kind of weird to see, you know, the jar of urine in the fridge, <laughs> you know, staying cool. But, um, didn't you fill that, one up and have to get another one or something? I did. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I kind of remember that. I did. And, you know, <laughs> it was some of that stuff was at the time I was like, man, this is a lot, you know. And but at the same time, if you're going if you're going to try and be a master somebody, you want to be as healthy as you can. But uh, the scary part for me was all these tests, you know, and here in the back of my mind, honestly, I'm thinking, what if they find something wrong with me? <laughs> But uh, uh, it was it was eye opening um, and it makes you realize that somebody that's dealing with a sickness or, or, you know, or disease of some sort, that they're constantly getting poked on. They're constantly getting tested for this and that. And so I really my hat, my hat was off to Shane. He was so used to being in the hospital, getting poked at it. It was not a big deal to him. And and, you know, some people think, well, that's just a show. No, he's pretty comfortable. <laughs> But uh, right. the process, yeah. the process was was interesting. I learned a lot of, you know, uh, you know, Iowa Methodists. They were big on, you know, the live donor. They wanted to make sure the live donor was healthy. They worried about the person needing it, but I felt like uh, they really focused on me more so. And uh, that part was good. But in the, I was also questioning why why aren't you focused on him too? Make sure he's ready, you know. He's you know, right. I know he's not feeling the greatest, but I just felt like that part was always a question to me. But um going through the EKG and all that stuff, it was all new to me. I'd never been through that. And uh one of the things, you know, that they when I went through it, they saw some supposedly a, something that was abnormal and and of course, they called me, said, we want you to come back in for this test because we saw something that didn't look right. Of course, instantly I'm panicking because it was in my chest cavity. Well, it was scar tissue or something from, I don't know, I was sick or I don't remember what it was they said, but it was nothing to worry about. But uh, here I am 24 hours later, I'm, I'm sweating bullets because I think something's wrong. But, but uh, you know, I went to some appointments with Shane and, and uh, he was making light of it and I was a little stressed out, but he made it easier for me, so. Um, it was a process. Um, you know, if you are ever considering it, know that you're going to be tested thoroughly and you're going to know what kind of health you are in. So yeah. be aware of that. Yeah. So Jeremy, what was your process like and the things you had to go through? Yeah. So mine was very similar. 
Um, I had to do a lot of blood draws and, and they took a lot of vials of blood uh, here locally and were able to you know, get the lab results and send them up to the University of Iowa. So I was able to do a lot of the work from Kansas City. Um, I did have to do a couple sessions where I had to make trips to Iowa City and meet with uh, my coordinator and the team up there and meet with all the different physicians. Um, you know, one of the things that I found interesting was I had to meet with a psychiatrist and uh, I hadn't really given that much thought yet. And she asked Anita to leave my wife, Anita, to leave the room so that it was clear that I wasn't under any pressure or nobody could hear what I was saying. And, and you know, they asked a lot of questions. Was I doing this on my own free will? Was there any pressure from uh, from Shane or from my larger family to be the one to step forward? Um, how would you feel if it's not successful? If you give the kidney and it's not successful, how would you feel if you gave the kidney and it goes to somebody else and they have different beliefs than you do or behavior traits than, than what I do? You know, all these uh, questions that I really hadn't pondered or thought about. Um, so I thought that part was pretty interesting. Um, I too had to use a second jug during my my uh, urine collection, 24-hour urine collection. But I told them ahead of time because I uh, am an avid runner, and so I would drink 100 to 150 ounces of water a day, in addition to what other liquids I might drink, soda or milk or juice. Um, so I knew that one jug was probably not going to be enough, and so they gave me a second one and. And uh, I was about one and three quarters full on the two jugs over the course of the 24 hours when I took it back. The lady says, oh, you weren't kidding. <laughs> and I nope. And, uh, but so that was interesting to do. Um, and meeting all of the different doctors. And it seemed like I had, like, like Brad said, they were very concerned about me. Almost everyone that introduced themselves said they were there for me. And they were my advocate. And if I ever got uncomfortable at any point right up until I fell asleep, I could say I was out and they would they were there to make sure that I was um, taken off the table and moved out and, and not in if I ever weren't comfortable. Um, right. So that was that was all really interesting because they were very much at the university concerned about my behalf and, and how I was in my health. Um, and, uh, you know, going through all the tests like Brad talked about the EKG and everything. But I remember the first trip when I met the multidisciplinary team, every one of them, they took my pulse and blood pressure. And uh, normally when I'm sleeping, my, my pulse runs around in the high 40s. And but when I'm awake, it'll be if I'm not active, it's more in the high, upper 50s. Um, if I'm just sitting and resting, and all day long, for some reason, that particular day, it was running around 41 to 44. Uh, even while I was awake. And so every doctor or nurse that took my blood pressure and pulse would say, Wow, you're heart is very slow. <laughs> uh, even the lady that did the EKG, she gave me the printout and she looked at it and goes, I don't know what most of this means, or I can't tell you what most of this means, but your heart's very slow. Um, so either I was very relaxed that day or for whatever reason, uh, my pulse was running about 10 beats slower than normal, but it did it all day long from the first person to the last person. So, uh, but they weren't really too worried about it when they asked how much I ran and the fact that I would run 1500 miles a year, they said that explains the slow pulse, the low pulse rate. So heart rate. Sure. But uh, so yeah. you guys had a lot of, you guys had a ton of testing and, and if there was going to be anything wrong, I mean, yeah, like Brad said, they're definitely going to find it out because, you know, like I like to always say is they want to make sure you get off the table the same way that you got onto the table and they make darn sure of that. 
And uh, so they give a lot of education. Do you think you guys received enough education uh, to make your decision while going through this process as well when it came to any kind of risks or uh, benefits or anything like that? Uh, yeah, Jeremy, I feel, I, or, or Brad, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, you're uh, fine. I'm, okay. No, I feel I feel like I did. Um, you know, like Jeremy said, you know, they had, you know, they had the transplant team checking on you all the time, making sure it's something that you really wanted to do. Um, and they were very knowledgeable. So if you had any question of, you know, maybe concerns of something that what if this goes wrong, what if that goes wrong, they're very knowledgeable and they're very um, upfront with you about things. And so I, I don't feel like I went in not knowing enough. I felt like I was pretty prepared. Yeah, good, good. Uh, yeah, I felt the same way. Um, I mean, Shane, you know me and, and some of you on there who's listening might know my background is that I, I study everything before I do something. I'm not a, I'm not the person that's real fast to act. I don't impulse buy uh, anything larger than my candy bar um, <laughs> without thinking through the benefits and the loss of that utility. Um, so I had done a lot of research myself, uh, but I thought my transplant team, my coordinator, were very knowledgeable. Uh, they answered all my questions. They talked about all the different risks and and how minimal they were. You know, and we went through. They walked through what the odds of a person developing kidney failure over their lifetime is, and then what that changes to for somebody who's given who donates a kidney, a living donor, and what their chances are of kidney failure. Um, you know, we even went to the point of uh, uh, of talking with. Um, my son's pediatric team because he he's got a chronic illness and we wanted to make sure that uh you know what his chances were and so we talked about that with with both the his pediatric team but also even at the university to make sure that um they were comfortable that in his lifetime it wasn't likely that he was going to need a kidney in case uh that i didn't take myself out of the opportunity to be in the pool for him if he were to need something um so we we went a little bit deeper and that was uh, we give Shane credit. That was at his uh, request that I dig deeper and find out about my son's uh, potential going forward because Shane didn't want me to take myself out as being a candidate for my son in the future um, if it was if he had a higher risk for for kidney failure as he aged. Um, and the doctor said no, nope. and so did his pediatric team was in agreement and said that they would go for it if I was a good candidate. So I think that. The doctors were very helpful and knowledgeable and put us in a good position for my wife and I both to be very comfortable with the process. Right. And, and just so people know, too, and I think Jeremy's probably aware of this, is being that we went through the voucher program, which we'll get into that here in a second. But uh, since he donated to me through Living Voucher, he still has vouchers, I think, four because you get five total, if I remember correctly. So if one of your three boys, anything ever happens, or your wife, for that matter, you can still use voucher for them through the NKR or through the deceased donor, which is actually, you know, pretty cool. And uh, even for myself, I got a deceased donor, but my voucher is still good through the National Kidney Registry, which we didn't know that before, Jeremy. Uh, we just learned that recently that, uh, you know, my voucher was used through the deceased donor, and which is good, but... Uh, if I ever need a kidney again, which I pray to God I don't, but it's at least it's still available through the uh, to get a living donor. So that's 
pretty neat with the living voucher. And so, since we're talking about it, Jeremy, let's talk about this living voucher uh, program. Uh, what kind of led to your decision on uh, doing this? Because, you know, when it since we didn't match up because I had a high antibody uh, of 99.7, you could donate to me, but you couldn't donate directly to me. So, right. you know, we had to find some other avenues. So how did that kind of come about? Yeah. So when I met with the team, they told me what kind of the three donation options were and that there was direct donation. Um, there was the living voucher donation or there was a paired exchange donation. Um, and with Shane's uh, higher antibody levels, they told me I'm a good candidate to be a donor, just not for him. We weren't a match. And uh, so that kind of left me with the, the two options. And we sat down with the coordinator and the transplant team and talked about paired donation versus the living donor program through the NKR. And uh, paired donation, we'd have to find another pair or a group that, uh, people that were kind of in the same boat as Shane and I, where I was a match for their recipient and their donor was a match for Shane, which could take a while. And, and you had less control over the timing of when the surgery might occur. And as I mentioned, um, you know, I spend a lot of time uh, outside of work coaching my son's baseball team, coaching on their basketball teams, or going to soccer games or violin concerts and orchestra concerts. Um, so I wanted some control on the timing a little bit. And November was a good time. November and December was kind of a downtime between the end of baseball season and before basketball really got going uh, for youth basketball down here in Kansas City. Um, so that kind of... Uh, led to that being a really good time for us and my wife was in agreement that that was probably the best time uh you know to reduce my you know parenting obligations while i was recovering and she could handle more uh of the of the role that she was going to take on while i recovered so that was kind of how we landed on on doing the living voucher system because it, it sure. did give me a lot more flexibility and, and you donated your kidney and you don't know who it is and you won't find out for another year. Only I think if, if you both want to meet, it's got to be yeah. mutual, I believe, right? Yep. It's, the, uh, the, there's a one-year cooling off period or waiting period. And then it has to be a mutual decision to, I think, to even let them know my name or where I'm located or to find out the recipient's name or location or, and then if, if the, the two parties want to meet um, in the future. So, okay. Uh, I don't even know where it went. I, sometimes they said they could tell that they find out what state it went to, but I didn't even, I don't even know what state or any, I don't know anything about the recipient other than they received my kidney that night. And what was your thought when you woke up from surgery? I hope they're done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they give you the way they did the anesthesia, it's like they gave me the first round of the anesthesia and then I was supposed to sign a consent form for a nerve block. And, uh, and then they would give me the rest of the anesthesia to, uh, they give me the nerve block and the rest of the anesthesia to put me to sleep. And apparently I was either so exhausted or relaxed with where I was that when they gave me the first round of the anesthesia, I passed out, I fell asleep <laughs> and, uh, wasn't awake to get the nerve block. And, it had only seemed like 15 or 30 minutes. It seemed like I hadn't been asleep for very long. And when I opened my eyes and I was laying there in the room, in a room, and it looked like the same room I had fallen asleep in. Um, and I just remember thinking, 
I hope we're done. <laughs> and uh, something happened. I kind of twitched my upper body a little bit or turned my torso. And, and then I could feel it wasn't pain, but I could tell that they had that, it, that they were done. I could tell that I'd been cut. Sure. Um, and so then I knew it was over, that it was done anyway. But uh, that's right. kind of my first thought when I woke up was saying, I hope sure. I hope we're finished <laughs> and uh, and everything. And uh, the the intubation tube was removed um, already, obviously, when I woke up. And so that was uh, but that was my first thought. Gotcha. So, Brad, let's talk about our experience a little bit. Uh, <laughs> We did a living or no, we did non-related direct donation. Uh, so you, your kidney went straight from you right into me. Uh, so talk about your experience a little bit in that morning uh, surgery prep. Uh, well, you know, uh, the one thing that I remember most before I even went in was uh, Shane, you got my wife and I a hotel and it was close to the hospital. And, and, uh, when I got there that night to the hotel, I was fairly calm. And then when I woke up in the morning, I was just a tad bit nervous, <laughs> but, uh, and you know, and you know, anxiety was high for, you know, even for Shane. Um, it's, it's an emotional process. And, uh, but I do remember, um, going in there and, you know, a lot of prayer went into it, a lot of people praying for us. And so I wasn't worried necessarily, but when you have never gone under, under a knife, you, you just don't know anything, you know, and how you're going to feel when you come out of it. And um, the it was a fairly easy prep. Um, you know, I remember being wheeled back there and the, my transplant coordinator was with me and and she knew I was nervous, so she held my hand, and and she really was she was cracking jokes, but she was really funny, so that helped. And then we got into into there, and they was talking to me, and that's literally all I remember, and I was out. And hmm. I don't remember much until I woke up, and I'm thinking I made it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, I so knew where I was. First, that was going to be my next question: is what was your first thought when you woke up? So it was I made it. <laughs> So yeah, because you guys, both of you guys, have never had surgeries before, correct? Correct. Uh, other than my tonsils out, but you know that wasn't anything major, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, um, I've, so, I've never had one where they put me full with full anesthesia. I mean, I've had yeah. outpatient procedure, surgical procedures and things like that, but never right, never anything like this. Yeah. So, yeah. and I think what was similar is you both had it removed robotically, correct? Correct. Yeah. Yeah, mine was. Yeah, mine was laparoscopic. Was it uh, an actual person that had took that pulled your kidney, or was it a robot? Because I don't robot. know. With you. Yeah, yeah, mine was robotic. Okay, yeah, which is interesting uh, that they do that now because my brother, when he donated to me in '97, they cut him from his belly button to his spinal cord. Uh, so you know, they literally had to cut him in half, unfortunately. So with you guys, what was that procedure like that you went through? Uh, go ahead, Brad. Um, you know, <laughs> it was really, it was when I, when I was able to actually pick my head up and look down and see what had happened, I was rather, um, amazed, uh, you know, because they had glued everything shut and you could see, I could see where they had 
putting the scope in and where the kidney was pulled out. So I have three, you can barely see them now. They're just little, I'm, there might be about an inch long, three little ones. And then one that's about five to six inches. And, uh, I was amazed. Um, I wasn't cut from one side to the other, you know, after hearing about your brother, I was like, wow. Cause I, I think I would have thought about it a little bit harder if I was going to be cut like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, the, um, the biggest thing was, um, the soreness, you know, I, I, I wasn't horrible, but I remember thinking, oh, I don't feel too bad because the pain meds were still there. Kind of, they hadn't worn off yet. So I was moving around and then when they started to wear off a little bit, then I realized, ouch, I was a little bit sore. I needed to be careful, but, but I was, I was pretty impressed. Lathroscopic is really uh, an amazing thing when you can do that. Yeah. And what was it like for you, Jeremy? Yeah. So I, I had similar experiences when I got back to my recovery room or back to my hospital room. Um, I looked at the surgery, looked at the marks and I've got three kind of one centimeter um, incisions and then one at the bottom of my, uh, so they start like just above my belly button and then they took my left kidney. So then it kind of makes a diamond shape from my left belly button or from my belly button to the left of it. The bottom one is about a two centimeter, three centimeter. It's a little bit bigger incision. Um, And then I've got the one uh, that's probably about six or seven centimeters where they removed the kidney from. So my wife says that that looks like my, my very own little C-section line, a horizontal (laughs) C-section scar, but uh, they're all very small and and uh the recover makes the recovery a lot easier uh for the donor compared to what it was 25 years ago when todd went through it and uh and so yeah for me it was just it was amazing that they can do all those things without sticking a hand clear it you know up inside of you and 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 actually getting the kidney out so it was really yeah pretty amazing and pretty good experience well, so Mike Ashley, uh, the kidney man, if nobody knows who Mike is, he's the kidney man. Brad, you'll see him at the kidney walk, I'm sure, uh, in Ottumwa in May. So uh, yeah. he, he goes around and, and does a lot of good things for the kidney community. But um, he had a question uh, for you guys. If, if they're still checking up on you today, are they, you still get checked up on Jeremy? Are they calling you, having you come down, do blood work, anything like that? Or Yeah, so um, I just reached out because I was – for some reason I had in my head that they wanted something at three month mark. But when I, my coordinator got back and said the end of November, uh, end of March, which would be about 120 days, I'll have to go in and get a lab work and do a telecheck appointment with the, the clinic and the doctors. And then I think I do one again at six months or so. And then at a year, and then I think at 18 months and then at two years. And then I think at that point, then it goes to annual, um, for some period of, I don't know if it's forever that they want to keep talking to me. And then I know my, my, uh, primary physician down here in Kansas city, he intends to every time when I have physicals and that make sure he's doing all the blood draws and everything that he needs to, to add to my physical, to monitor kidney function, uh, going forward too. And then he said he'd share whatever with the university, the results and ask that the university, you know, provide those records over to him too, so that he has those in my file down here in Kansas city. But Yeah. Good. And then Brad, are you, you still getting checked up on, on going down and seeing everybody? 
Yeah, I I finished. I did my uh, two two year. Actually, I was late on it. They they got a hold of me soon enough, but I ended up being later. But uh, in December, I did my two year checkup. So yeah, they they do it. They make sure you're still functioning well. Um, one of the things that they really watched me close on was um, blood pressure. Yeah. I've I've had to really watch that. Um, unlike Jeremy, my blood pressure runs a little bit higher, especially if I get see a blood pressure cuff. It just goes up. <laughs> well, let's talk about this for for a quick second, because we because because both of you had a very similar experience through this whole thing, where um, Jer Jeremy was just nervous, but uh, <laughs> and this is how cautious these hospitals are. But you know, you had a little anxiety when you went for your last checkup. You're kind of talking to me about it, but tell everybody the story, Jeremy. I don't want to get into it. Uh, I don't yeah, want to. So do, I don't want to explain. It. I'll let you. So my blood pressure usually runs uh, less than 120 over 80, somewhere in, you know, in the teens, one teens over 70, upper 70s in that range. And I went in for the final uh, checkup at the hospital, at the clinic. I drove all the way up to the university. We're about two weeks away from surgery. They've got the recipient lined up, the operating table lined up, and they take my blood pressure and it's like, <laughs> 145 over 98 the first time. And I told her, I'm like, that's not right. <laughs> it's, it's never that high. So she did it again a few minutes later and it was about the same. And she said, well, sometimes the machines go are, you know, need a battery or something. So she went and brought in another machine and it was still like that. And then the surgeon came in and he did it. And it was, uh, it had dropped down to like 139 and uh, over 90, but he said, that's, that's still too high. I think, I think we need to delay the surgery for 90 days and which I didn't want to do because I talked about the timing of it. And so they had to overnight me a monitoring device for 24 hours to wear a cuff on my arm for 24 hours that took my blood pressure every hour for 24 hours. And then when that was over, I had to overnight it back to a company in Massachusetts uh, that then sent the results back to the university and fortunately when i got back here um my my blood pressure had leveled back off and it was more in the 120 over 80 range and the hospital called and said okay yeah we're we're good with doing that and you know i told him i thought it was probably just nerves and i told my coordinators well if you take it the day of the surgery i go it's probably going to be even higher than it was <laughs> on november 9th and she said that they expected that but yeah so they were we're not prepared to move forward with a, any any hint of a high blood pressure before the surgery. Right. And and Brad, we were scheduled for surgery, and we got put on pause, kind of the same type of situation, Mister. I'm perfect health, and that's an yeah. inside joke for all of you out there. So, anyways, <laughs> but uh, but go ahead and explain that a little bit. Well, uh, we were actually uh, the team had decided. The original date was going to be, I think, the end of July, and I never—I'll never forget because I went in shortly after my birthday to talk to the team, and then they checked my blood pressure, and it was just a little bit high. And they're like, "You know, we want to—we want to make sure your blood pressure is good, so we're going to delay it for a little while." And I'm like, "Really?" And they're like, "Yeah, we're going to—I think it was like three weeks. They were going to just see how things were going." And it just, I felt like it was going to take forever, you know, but it ended up, I got it down. They were happy with it, but, but I was always borderline because every time I went, 
and they get that blood pressure cuff on, I just, my heart rate would go up, my blood pressure would go up because I didn't want that to happen again. And it was hard for me not to get that out of my head. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, I would have rather had it in July, but you know, it happened in November. So it worked out. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. That, they are very cautious with your blood pressure. So, uh, one thing I did learn through that process is, uh, sodium, watch your sodium. Uh, right. I never realized how much sodium I actually would take. I still have to be careful. I, some days I get a little carried away and, uh, just by any processed food, uh, uh, I'm a I'm a type of person I like to eat ranch with stuff, and that's really not a good thing. <laughs> right. So a lot of sodium. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. Well, let's. I want to back up here because Jennifer had a had a good question here too about gas pain. Um. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not fun. But did you guys have any of that? Did you experience any of the gas pains or because they shut your bowels down? when they go in there. So it takes, sometimes it can take a little bit for that to come back up, but then they also put air in you too, when they're doing that surgery. So did you guys experience a lot of gas pain through, through your, through uh, your donations? Um, you know, at first I didn't know what to expect. You know, when you think of gas pain, you know, you think, you think of, you know, oh man, you know, it's building up. I got, you got to release it, you know, but I didn't realize how gas pain can affect you. And I remember, um, my side hurting a certain way. And I, they said, well, that's, that's the, that's the anesthesia trying to leave your body and it takes time and it was moving its way up and it was uncomfortable. I mean, I was able to stand it. I think some people get it worse than others, but mine wasn't horrible, but it definitely was uncomfortable. Sure. And what about you, yeah, Jeremy? I, Did you have a lot of that? Yeah, I would say the same thing. And, and in fact, um, that was probably more of my discomfort was from the gas pain. As long as I didn't uh, cough, sneeze, or laugh too much, the incisions weren't too bad. Um, the way, you know, as long as I wasn't moving around and jostling everything. But uh, as far as just laying there when I could get into a comfortable position, then it was the gas pain was probably the most uh, discomfort that I had and, and trying to let that work its way out of the system. Sure. So uh, either one of you can go first on this, but, you know, talking about, you know, the gas pain is one thing that went on. What was your recovery like? Uh, you know, how long? Well, let's start first. How long were you in the hospital? And then when you went home, how long was your recovery and what was that experience like? Go ahead, Jeremy. All right. So I had my surgery on a Monday and uh, they were ready to release me Tuesday night uh, from the hospital. And uh, I just, again, having never gone through a surgery or anything like that, I wasn't quite comfortable yet. And so the doctors, like I said, they really worry about you as the donor. And he came in, he asked how I was feeling, said I could go if I wanted. He could see my hesitancy and said, well, you're the most important patient on the floor tonight, so you're going to just stay. And he goes, you can stay the next day if you want. And, uh, you know, so I ended up staying until Wednesday and then around lunchtime, I think we ate lunch at the hospital and then we left uh around noon on wednesday so i wasn't in the hospital just just over 48 hours total from when i got there at five in the morning monday until noon on wednesday i see and then what was it like when you got home uh well being that i'm from kansas city they asked me to stay in iowa for a week until my post-op checkup which uh you know it was, it was over thanksgiving week so it worked out okay we just went down to my mom's house in Washington, Iowa, about a half hour south of the hospital and stayed there until Tuesday. 
And with the kids getting out of school, then on that Tuesday of Thanksgiving week, they just came up on Wednesday with my mom who had driven down to Kansas City to stay with them while we had the surgery. And we just uh, stayed in Iowa till Tuesday afternoon. I had my post-op checkup and then we were able to drive back to Kansas City. Um, I'm fortunate working for the FDIC. I had a lot of built up sick, sick leave accumulated. So I just took four weeks off work and stayed home and and rested on the couch in the bed and just uh, yeah. really tried to take it easy and let my body heal as much as I could um, during the during the next few weeks. And then Brad, what was it like? How many days were you in the hospital? And then what was your recovery like when you got home? Um, I went in on a Wednesday morning and uh, I left on a Friday afternoon. And mm -hmm. the, you know, I kind of liked the being pampered. It was kind of nice. I kind of enjoyed that part <laughs> of it. But I, I was, I think they would have, they left it up to me as well. I think I could have left that Thursday afternoon or evening, but I told them, I said, I want to stay one more night. And uh, so I stayed another night and uh, going home, that was the rough part. Um, it was really uncomfortable and riding home, just the bumps and stuff. But um, I'd say the hardest part for the first couple of days is I could not lay flat. Um, it just was uncomfortable. You could just, I felt a part of me was missing. It was just stretching stuff. My body was trying to get back to where it was at. So I slept in the recliner for the first couple of nights. Um, but overall the recovery actually went very quick your body bounces back pretty well if you, that's why they want to make sure you're in good health yeah yeah and i know both you guys are married so this is going to be the obvious question of of the who but let's talk about this a little bit with your wives and and being there for emotional support and practical support for that matter um how how did this affect your family jeremy and and how did this affect things with your wife and how was she about this whole process um, she was great. She, I, uh, she was my biggest supporter and cheerleader for the process. I mean, I, um, uh, I, as I did all my research and before we ever even talked to, to you, Shane, or to the university, I talked with her and made sure she was on board with the process and what I was thinking. And, and she was supportive of it. Um, you know, she was with me the whole way. She went up to all my appointments at the university before and probably will go after and she was there uh the night before in the hotel and at the hospital when i went in and out and she stayed as long as she could be there until visiting hours were over each day uh with me and uh and then she was very um very attentive uh when i got home to make sure that i didn't i don't have the best track record of always following orders um, from doctors, physical therapists or whatever in recovery. And, uh, she took some athletic training courses and was an athletic trainer in college and is very big on rest and recovery and follow the, the instructions from the, the people who know better than me. And so right. she, she was very, uh, very helpful in keeping me in line with what I should be doing and not overdoing anything that I shouldn't, uh, any faster than I should be. And so. Sure. Um, that was great. Yeah. And kids were supportive of it and, and uh, nervous. They were all nervous when I went in for the surgery, but excited when I was yeah. done. Knew not to run and jump on dad when he got to grandma. They did. Yes. Yeah. They had, uh, right. they had had those discussions. And so they would come in and 
walk over very gingerly and then try to figure out how could they give me a hug without bumping my stomach or anything. And, yeah, you know, right. it's funny, even uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, one of them came in and he landed on me and he just landed on me and hit me in the ribs and it hurt my ribs. And I said, ow, and he thought it was the incisions and from the surgeon, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. And I'm like, well, that, that part's healed up now, but <laughs> like, you're just 110 pounds now and you threw your elbow and shoulder right into my rib cage. That sure feels a little different than it did when you were 50 pounds. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But so yeah. Brad, what was with Brenda and, and your emotional and, and your practical support, how did, and, and going through this whole experience, how was she with everything? She was, she was, uh, she was really good through the whole process. You know, when I asked her what she thought, you know, she says, if you really feel, you know, that's something you want to do. She says, I support that, you know, and, and through the process, I would ask her, I'm like, are you still okay with this? Cause um, one of the big things that, you know, the team would talk about is like, if you change your mind, it's okay. And, you know, um, and, you know, knowing, knowing the person you're going to donate to um, I, Shane, you did a great job of not making me feel like, I was pushed or, you know, or like I had to feel guilty if I changed my mind. Um, so you did really well at that. But as far as um, Brenda, you know, she's a nurse too. So uh, she was, you know, she kind of knew how I was going to feel, you know, to an extent. And uh, my parents lived close at the time. So the first couple of days when she went to work, she took me into my parents. I felt like a kid. <laughs> but then after that, I stayed home and um, you know, so she was, took care of me when she got home and it was not a, not an issue. Uh, my grandkids, you know, the little ones, they knew that I had, that I was hurt and they knew I was sore. And so Jade, my granddaughter, she was really careful when she'd come up to me, you know, she'd walk up and she'd put her head on me instead of, you know, jumping up. And also at work, you know, the kids, um, my, uh, role at the school is, I'm, I'm in with the kids I'm, and they're all over me and, and jumping and stuff like that. And the teachers did a really good job of saying, you know, when he come, when, when Mr. Brad comes back, you have to, you can't jump on him, you know, and they, the kids did great. I was really supported in that. Um, and so, yeah, you know, the people, it's amazing. You don't realize the effect it has on the people around you, not just your family, but even people that know you. Um, mm -hmm. I felt like my friends were more worried you really want to do this? And it's like, yeah, yeah, I do, <laughs> you know? Um, and also, you know, just, just making sure I'm okay. Right. Uh, so it was, it was great support. Yeah. So let's talk about the procedure itself and any cost that you incurred. I know that, uh, you know, they try to make it to where donors don't have anything out of pocket, uh, uh, even when it comes to hotels and travel and things like that. But Brad, did you, what, did you incur any costs from this, uh, co-pays or anything, even on follow-up? No, um, not nothing. The only, you know, the only thing that really comes out of your pocket really is if you got to go to the appointment, gas. But other than that, um, the it was everything's covered. I, I've never, I never saw a bill. They said if a bill comes to you, let us know and we'll take care of it. And you know, and so it was an easy process. Right. And then same thing with you, Jeremy. Did you incur any cost through this whole experience or? I did not. They gave me kind of a travel voucher to fill out with uh, for NKR or, or some foundation through NKR. And I submitted a document that had our hotel uh, charges and then they reimbursed us uh, for mileage for 
each of the days. I waited until after I got home after my post-op follow-up and then submitted for the two times that I traveled to the university clinics to um, meet with the team before my surgery and then the, as well as everything we incurred during the surgery. Um, so I think the only thing I would have is if in the future, if I have to do any physical visits up there, um, you know, gas to drive to Iowa City, um, but otherwise everything else was covered. I think they even gave us money for meals. Um, we were able to put our meals on the uh, on there too that night or for the the day the day before the hospital and then and the day of, or uh, and that. So yeah, we didn't for anything. Yeah, that's a difference, I think, between the two facilities is something like that that was available uh, from that's available at, at University of Iowa, but wasn't available at the Des Moines Clinic, I don't believe was available there. At least I, I think I would have known about it if so, or they would have told Brad about it, too. Right. But yeah, so that but that's really cool. They had something like that. And that definitely helps <laughs> with anything. So but let's you know, we've got a couple minutes left here. I, I do want to ask how are you guys doing today? How are you feeling about, I mean, not how you feel about yourself, but physically, mentally, emotionally, those types of things. How are you guys doing? Uh, Brad, how, how are you doing right now? Are you running, um, are you running your three miles a day, Brad? I, you know, I did start again last week. I, t <laughs> I I'm in the winter time. I'm terribly lazy. There you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I did start again. I ran twice last week. Um, wasn't quite three miles, but I'll get there again. And and, you know, but it felt good to get out. But no, I overall, yeah. I feel great. Um, my my, you know, one of the biggest things I noticed after the surgery was my core strength had changed quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> and that took a while to get back. But um, I'm back to normal. I don't feel any different than what I did before. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing is I try to make sure I stay hydrated. Um, and, you know, I'm a typical you know, I'm, I'm typical as far as my eating habits. I don't eat horrible, but, but some days I'm like, man, I got to eat better, <laughs> but, but overall, yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah. No, good. And then Jeremy, how, how are things with you physically and emotionally and everything going on with you, with you? Well, I, I feel good. I mean, I, I never had any emotional issues or, you know, where I felt any, <laughs> any anxiety, depression, or, you know, anything like that after the fact that I, I I accomplished my goal, um, which was to provide an opportunity for you to hopefully get a kidney, which was successful. And uh, so I've emotionally, I've always felt good and comfortable with what I did, and what I, what the plan was. And then physically, you know, I'm pretty much back to normal. I, and as I mentioned earlier, I'm, a, I'm an avid runner because I'm an avid eater. And I found that if you don't do both, um, <laughs> you have to buy bigger pant sizes. Right. So, um, so I, I run, I'm not running as far and I'm not running as fast and not quite as frequent yet, but, uh, I'm getting there. I did five miles yesterday and, and, uh, I've got 50 miles this month. That's a lot shorter than where I normally am for a month at this point, but I'll get back there. I don't know if I'll see, uh, uh, as many miles as I did in 2021, but, but we'll get there, but I'm, you know, coaching basketball and I'm out on the court and I'm diving for balls with the boys when we're scrimmaging and doing drills. And I'm in there at baseball practice on Sunday mornings with the kids and in a catcher squat, catching pitches and throwing soft sure. toss and everything else. So feel good. Good. Back to normal. Well, you're looking beautiful, man. 
that's my hair and makeup. I talked to them and there, they said, put on a hat. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Jennifer Marie was asking about uh, who helps facilitate the voucher program. And Jeremy and I can speak to this a little bit, but the National Kidney Foundation is a great organization, but it's actually through the National Kidney Registry where vouchers are made available. And Jeremy, you can talk about, uh, you, t you spoke a little about it, but who, was it your coordinator or who brought up, who kind of coached you about the voucher and how did that yeah, work it, again? It, it was my coordinator and she was my primary contact at the university and she would send me all the email links and the information that I needed when it came to the voucher and filling out the voucher uh, information and designating who my intended recipient was, everything like that. Um, but it was the it was the transplant facility that did at the Oregon Center. Okay, they set all that up and yep. got everything kind of put together for that. Good. Okay. Well, Jennifer, I appreciate that question. Uh, Jared with the Warrior Quest Show is on here. Uh, he's he's got a great program. I want to encourage everybody to go check him out. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Jared and thank him for watching tonight and supporting our show. Um, I got one final question for you guys as we get ready to close up. And uh, how do you feel, Jeremy, after donating a kidney? Um, proud. Um, I'm proud to have done what I what I did last year. Um, it was a big process for me and a big process for my family to go through it and think about it and talk about it uh, and go through the process. But uh, you know, you think you become even more proud. Uh, just in the response you get from from people when they find out about it and you know for me it was kind of a it seemed like a no-brainer once i got through the research and felt comfortable with the process that i would do it and that but the number of people who've come up to me and said you know it's one thing to say you know i'd give you a kidney and it's a whole different thing to actually go through it and just that the number of people who've uh expressed uh you know an admiration for that process and, and that that act um just kind of makes you feel proud of of it but like i said for me it was it was never all about that it was just about providing an opportunity for you uh to get a kidney because i knew it was going to be a long shot any other way if you didn't have a, a donor step forward right yeah and brad yeah, how do for you me i'd say my biggest after. thing was pride um, yeah great way to explain it and you should be to be honest you should be i mean you you did something that a lot of people uh don't want to do until they die to be quite frank with you well and yeah and what both of I you have told, done is, is great to be proud of i told my coordinator that you know when I, we were talking about my blood pressure and i told her if she takes it the day of the surgery it's going to be very high and i said i want to do this but i said it's not normal to go and ask a doctor to remove a perfect, <laughs> perfectly functioning part of your body <laughs> from your body right. um, you know so uh that's a little bit to get through but it, yeah 100% correct. And then Brad, how, how are you doing today after donating? How do you feel after donating a kidney? You know, um, I have to agree with Jeremy. There's a sense of pride with it. Um, you know, and it's not, it's not an arrogance. It's, it's um, the way people, when they hear about it, it you, they're like, you did that? Yeah. And you know, it, it is, it's a sense of pride, you know, whether, um, one thing I want to touch on real quick about that is whether it's whatever you do is never a guarantee 
but it's it's the idea of trying. And so uh, those of you that are listening tonight, if you are considering it, know this, that, you know, the chances of a kidney working are very high. I mean, it is, but also there's also a chance of something not quite being 100%. And so, you know, uh, when I tell my story to people that, you know, ask how Shane's doing and I'm like, well, he's doing great now, but there for a while, it, it, well, he wasn't so great, but it, you know, you know, God has a plan and a purpose for everything. So, um, you know, Shane went through a lot of grief there for a while, but look at him now. And, uh, so that uh, to me is, is, uh, what's key right there. You know, Jeremy, you, uh, wanting so bad to be a match, but doing that voucher, it was amazing to see a week later how he had his kidney already. It's like, wow. Cause I didn't think it was going to be that fast. Well, Jeremy knows I'm a jokester and he donates on the 22nd of November. <laughs> I call him on the 26th of November and like, dude, I just got the call. They want me in Iowa city. And he's like, well, are you serious? What? No, because <laughs> I'm a prankster. People out there that are watching me and know me or follow me, they know I'm a jokester. That's what I do. And, here I am actually trying to be serious. And he's like, are you serious? Really? <laughs> well, I'll add, when I was filling out the voucher form, there were some things I had to initial off on that I understood. And one of them said, if like your uh, intended recipient has a PSA over a certain number, we may never be able to find a kidney for that person. And Shane exceeded that number. Um, so for it to happen in seven days, granted it wasn't, with a living donor, but getting it through the deceased donor process, but to get it that quickly was really amazing. It was God. And why I thought that yeah. Shane was just pulling my leg. Cause he was actually supposed to come to Canada or down to Washington. He and his mom to visit me and see me. And he called and he's like, yeah, um, we're not coming today. Cause the hospital just called and said, they want me in Iowa city <laughs> for a surgery. And I was like, yeah, ha ha. <laughs> he's like, no, I'm, I'm being serious. And yeah. Better not be lying about this. <laughs> yeah. And and just so everyone knows out there that God is real. I mean, this happened because we serve and love and we are children of a real living God because he gave on the 22nd and then on the 26th, this came through for me. And, you know, Jared or Jeff Brown tells an interesting story on his uh, broadcast that uh you know he was telling me because i was canceling my need a donor everything because i knew as soon as jeremy gave me that voucher i knew that kidney was coming i was believing and praying for within six months and i had people out there telling me don't stop looking for a kidney don't stop asking i said you know what my cousin gave it's on its way and i just knew it was and but i didn't think it was going to be to the day seven days later at the Pretty much the same time at 9 a.m. I went in. What time did you go in, Jeremy? Uh, I had to be there at five. I think my surgery started around eight, seven eight. or eight. So yeah, so right oh. around that same time. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy how everything worked out and and stuff. So and and you know, Brad and I, we've got our own history with our transplant where things didn't go so great. And you know, to this day, I hate it. <laughs> you know, but what can I do about it? But I look at this and I look at this as a God thing. The way that this worked out for me, um, you know, I wasn't as much involved in the kidney community after Brad and I surgery. I got involved in it after Brad and I surgery. And this is, you know, where my calling is. Brad's calling is with Treehouse. You can see it on his shirt. 
uh, there in Fairfield, which is taking care of, you know, teens and, and being a place for teens to go and hang out. And uh, this is my calling to be a part of Midwest Kidney Warriors and, you know, uh, Kidney Solutions and all these uh, uh, AAKP, National Kidney Foundation, you know, using my talents to help spread the word. And, uh, you know, in ending, I just want to say one thing to you guys. First and foremost, I love you guys very much. I appreciate what you've done for me so much. Heroes come in so many different ways. They can be police officers, they can be firemen, they can be military men, and they can be organ donors. They come in all shapes and sizes. And you guys are truly heroes out there. Uh, and you are an inspiration to people. I hope there are people that are watching this show that might be considering donating a kidney. Rather it be to somebody you do know or you don't know, you can go onto the National Kidney Registry and at least get yourself on there. And you can give part of a liver or you can give a kidney and you can really help save a life and make a difference. Um, that, that's my final thought. Brad, what is your final thought? Just know. Boy, uh, I just put you on the spot, didn't I? Right. <laughs> Jeremy's next. Right. He gets to think. I, I do you're a pastor. You're a pastor, so you're used to being on the spot. <laughs> I, I do better when I'm put on the spot. Uh, actually, no, really. You know, when you do something. When you give something, whether it be money, time, whatever it is, you decide to be a donor. You are not in control. Once you give that, it is not in your control what happens after that. So just know you're doing a deed out of the kindness of your heart. And because you want to help somebody, um, I just want you to know that you can't control the outcome. God will take care of the rest. You can't always think it's going to be this way because God has a bigger picture, just like with what happened with Shane. God opened doors for him, uh, you know, and I'll never forget the day um, they said they had to take the kidney back out of Shane. It was it was the day before Thanksgiving. It was it was a crummy day. It was a sock to the gut. And uh, I'm going to make this short and sweet. But in my heart and in, in my mind, I should say it was like all for nothing, but I didn't know the bigger picture. Shane went through, I'll be honest with you, Shane went through hell for a few months. And, uh, but God turned things around. God, it was a miracle in Shane's life to start doing what he did. He, he bounced back. He was on dialysis, but through that whole process, he started Midwest Kidney Wars. He started helping people. How many people have you helped, Shane? Uh, there's a lot. I mean, I visit the diet, I visit, you know, a few dialysis centers and I help people there. And I've, you know, through, uh, advocating for people, you know, we've seen a lot of people get transplanted. I think just in the last few months, three or four people have gotten transplanted already. And, and that's not just me. That's people, you know, like Jared that you've seen on here with the word request show and, and Jeff, these, you know, we all work with each other and we all help to spread the word together. So it's not my doing, it's everybody's doing, but it's, it's God's doing when it comes right down to it. It's not me. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's, that's, yeah. that's my little spiel on that. You know, he's, God's got a plan and purpose, you know, you know, there's things that come against you, but he makes things, he turns things around. He makes it work for our good. And then Jeremy, what's your final thoughts here? Uh, yeah, I would just, I would echo with, with Brad, you know, my, um, it, it there's a purpose in everything that happens. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I wanted to donate in 1999, um, the first time. And, 
or not 1999, sorry, I think it was 95. 96, and then 96. the transplant happened in 97. Yep. Oh, okay. Something like uh, that. So I wanted to uh, I wanted to participate then and, and wasn't uh, what didn't uh, uh, you know but it it allowed for me to be here and, and available to to help any way I could later and uh, for Shane and if you're thinking about doing living donor or even uh, registering for, as an organ donor on your driver's license or anything like that you know Shane is proof of of the good that can happen from it. And the way that he advocates now and the support that he gives back to the community, um, you know, it just it multiplies uh, the generosity uh, multiplies. And so it's really fulfilling for me to see Shane helping others, um, whether it's calming them, talking with them at dialysis about the process they're in and the process that might lie ahead of them and his experiences or even just listening to their concerns, you know, just seeing all that that. Uh, that gift be multiplied really makes it uh, all that much more worthwhile for me to yeah. have it happen. Well, guys, I, I greatly appreciate you both being on here tonight and, uh, and, and sharing your experiences and, and, and of course our story with everyone out there. And I thank everybody for tuning in and those that are uh, listening on Spotify. So uh, I just want to say everyone, God bless you. Check that box on your driver's license and uh, look for someone out there that you can be a living donor for and be inspired and definitely be, be not bleed, but be blessed. And, and thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Thanks, Shane. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Focus on the Warrior. Uh, my name is Shane Blanchard. I'm your host. I am a three-time kidney recipient, and I am out here spreading the word, helping other people that need to find living donors. So glad you guys are all tuning in tonight. I've got a great guest. I've got Sonia Fowler from Eagle Pass, Texas, and I'm very excited to have her on tonight. She's a single mother of two. She's a good friend of mine and somebody that I've been uh, talking to here over the last year that has been searching for this kidney. She's been on dialysis and uh, going through that every night. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that too. So let me go ahead and bring her on right now. And uh, you guys that are watching, please like this, please share this and please subscribe. So that way we can uh, garner some attention and spread the word for Sonia so we can find a living donor. So uh, there we go. All right. Hey, there you are. How you doing? Hey. Good to see you. Likewise, always yeah. to see you. I know, but it's always better to see you, of course. Always. So, so let's let's talk about you. Let's let's get this on. I want to focus on you tonight and your need and everything going on. Uh, I know you've had a last uh, couple of weeks have been pretty tough, but considering you're you're looking great tonight. Thank you. So tell everybody uh, about yourself, and I know you're a mom, and I said that, and a single mom, and you live down in Texas. But go ahead and fill people in a little bit about yourself. I single mom i have two beautiful babies my son's 15 and my daughter's 11 and they're my whole world they're my reason for living and the reason i want to get a kidney is just to be here longer for them yeah that makes complete sense and you know i've, I've seen them on uh, other shows that you've been on and i know we've talked from time to time on video chat and and i've gotten to see them and you're 
your little girl's like a little mini me. Uh, <laughs> not me, but you, a mini you, I should say. Oh, yeah, she is. Not like me, she, but she's like your twin, man. That's <laughs> great. So, and how old is she's how old now? She's 11. 11. Okay. And then your son was 15. 15 years old. Wow. And so, getting up there. She's got that whole little attitude thing going for her, too. Like, oh my gosh, I don't know where she gets it, but that little girl is going to make me go gray so soon. <laughs> it's it's yeah. not even my son. My son is like perfect. I yeah. mean, I can't. Well, he's perfect for me. But right. she is just like, she's an amazing little girl, but she's got that sass and that attitude and God, I love her. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, we, we all love our kids. <laughs> so she's, I wanted, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say she's had 25 surgeries. So she's wow. really, really strong child. Like, my gosh, she's yeah. an amazing little girl. Wow. Yeah. I mean, for being 11 years old and having that many surgeries, she's got to be an amazing kid. Wow. So let's talk about you a little bit. So you are currently in kidney failure, right? And on dialysis. Yes. For and just about three years now. So three years. And now have you, what type of dialysis treatment are you doing? Um, I started on in-center hemone. And just recently, about six months ago, I went to at-home uh, peritoneal dialysis. Okay. So and so what's the better. difference? What's the difference between um, in-center and home? In-center, you go three times a week for roughly about four hours each treatment. So it's, um, it's not like your kidneys are working like every day. And with uh, dialysis at night, you get to do it every night. So it's kind of like your, your kidneys are working every day for a couple of hours, but it's a lot healthier for your body. You know, it, it gives you a little bit more freedom also in the, the fluids that you're allowed to drink and foods that you're allowed to eat. And just, it, it's, it's so much healthier for me. Mm -hmm. Like this dialysis is, is better. Um, I feel not as drained all the time and like I have my days free to be with my kids, to drop them off at school and pick them up. And that was always a big headache when I was in center because my times were, I, I would get off after my kids would get off of school. So it, it was just a problem. I would end up having to sign off early and like now I have my days free to pick them up and, and do their activities and just be with them. Yeah. Yeah. And so you said you're doing home PD, which is called peritoneal dialysis, um, which is something that I used to do myself, uh, which is where you're getting a fluid of some type in your stomach, correct? Yes. Is what yours is as well. And now what originally caused your kidney disease? Um, I'm diabetic type one diabetic for 28 years wow okay. well. and uh, that mixed with high blood pressure just it caused my kidneys to fail and yeah it it was just an all of a sudden thing i got sick i ended up at the hospital they broke the news to me that my kidneys were not functioning and that i needed to be on dialysis and at that point i i knew nothing about dialysis nothing and so I, I went into severe depression and just 
thinking my life was over. I'm never going to get over this. Like This is going to be for the rest of my life. And the more that I learned about it and the healthier choices I made for myself, I've known, I, I, I know now that it's something that you can live with. It's something that is livable. You know, I, I don't have to be down on myself because I'm on dialysis. Like I get to live my life and search for a kidney. You know, once yeah. I get that, I should be somewhat back to normal. Yeah. And, and, and the thing that a lot of people don't realize is that dialysis gives us at least some type of lifestyle, but, yeah. uh, but being tied to that machine, uh, you'd rather be in center or home uh, peritoneal or home hemo. That only does 15% of the work. Yeah. Uh, so, it keeps the life, but just barely. Yeah, it does. It does keep us, it keeps, it keeps them going, but, uh, but there's not good, there's good days and there's bad days and there's a lot of side effects. Um, even, yeah. and you could, I don't know if you're comfortable speaking about infection, but it's really easy. It is. It's very easy. It, you've got to be very careful. I mean, you can't have your AC going, your ceiling fans, you can't have your animals in your room. You have to wash your hands and sanitize it every single thing that you do every single step i mean it's just a process you know you have to wear your mask you have to keep a sterile environment it's just it's very easy to catch an infection and when you do it's very hard to get rid of yeah and you especially know? because with a weakened immune system as it is yeah. and the, the reason for the sterile environment uh people is because uh when you have this peritoneal catheter that's in your stomach, you're opening that up. And that is a straight place right into your body. And yep. even a speck of dust gets in that, it can be very dangerous. Yeah. So you got to be really, really careful. And okay. your peritoneal, you're, you're on that 10 hours a night. Is that correct? Yes. Wow. Yes. I, I mean, it's, it's better for myself because I get to connect at the times that I need to. So if I have to drop off my kids in the morning, I have to connect by a certain time. Like I know my routine. My kids know my routine. It's amazing when my kids are home. Um, my son, uh, he gets the boxes for me because they're super heavy. And he mm -hmm. puts them in my room. And my daughter's like, Mom, can we start already? Yes, baby. And so she'll go on. She'll turn on my machine. She'll wash her hands, she'll sanitize, she'll wear the mask. And she's like my dental nurse. She, she helps me set up everything. And my kids are very involved and, you know, it's yeah, just, good. it's a lifestyle, but we're getting used to it. Right. So, but hopefully, you know, it's not something you have to do too long. I mean, the whole reason we're doing this is that you need uh, someone to come forward. You need somebody to donate, uh, of course, you are eligible for the deceased donor through the uh, through the listing, but those are maybe a ten year kidney at best. Uh, yeah. They can last longer. I've seen them go fifteen and twenty years. But living is always the best way, and that's why we need somebody out there to come forward to be a, a living kidney donor for Sonia, so that way you can have that normal life. Uh, you can be there for kids, your kids, and someday for grandkids and not have to deal with this dialysis that's making you lose time on your life because of these treatments yes um 
it's it's breaking you down and uh it, it does that and that's that's what uh dial it keeps you like you said it's it's a lifeline but uh how how are you normally feeling um do you have good days do you have bad days how are things going with everything yes i mean from one day to the other you're not you don't know what you're gonna wake up feeling i mean for the last two weeks i have been drained i've been sleeping throughout the day and night and i just i needed rest and yesterday i woke up and was like i'm feeling good today and i actually went out to dinner with my mom and you know got to enjoy my day and was not as tired but i mean you never know you're gonna wake up feeling good you're gonna wake up feeling bad sometimes you know i yeah the thing that i it gets to me like i'm walking in the grocery store and everybody will tell me like oh my god you look so good like you're not sick why are you parking in a disabled parking or why why do you claim to be disabled like i am i it's just because i'm having a good hour of the day doesn't mean that i'm not tired 99 percent of the time doesn't mean that i'm not barely barely making it through my day you know it's it's hard it is hard and it is hard especially when you have kids that are active that want to go out that want to just hang out at the park or just go to the movies or you know do something go to the water park go to the beach go somewhere you know sometimes i'm able to and i try i push myself for them but there's other times where i just i can't i can't even drag myself out of bed yeah you know it's just that's kidney disease for you yeah and what you're talking about with the disabled and handicapped i've had experiences where people have said things to me when i've got out of a car and they're like and i had someone actually say you don't look disabled and i looked at them and i said i've got kidney disease and i said i can barely make it around the grocery store to get what i need and get back to my car mm -hmm. because you tire out so quickly and so easily and i don't and people don't realize that they don't they see you and they think well you look whole you look like you should be able to do more and with me, it's like, well, you're only 35. Why aren't you able to walk 10 miles? Why aren't you able to go to the gym and work out like, right. like normal 35 year olds? Well, you know, the answer to that is simple. I've got kidney disease. You know, it, it does affect us. It affects us. Affect, it affects us in different ways. Right. And just because you can't see it on the outside doesn't mean that we're not feeling it on the inside. Yeah. It's, it's the same way with people that might be going through chemotherapy. Yeah. I mean, they get, except for maybe they might have loss of hair or they're losing their hair or, or yeah. they're wearing, or they're wearing the do rag, you know, with, um, and I'm not comparing dialysis to chemotherapy, no. but the situation's the same, but you know, we don't really show any symptoms or signs. Uh, we're a lot skinnier than we used to be. Yeah. I mean, now, granted, I got my transplant three months ago and I'm already up 20 pounds and it's driving me nuts because I'm trying to lose it. But prednisone's a son of a gun sometimes. But yeah. uh, but the people don't realize that, that this this isn't the way I normally look. And some days it's even hard to get dressed. I mean, it's I know exactly what you're talking about. But here here you are on camera and, and, and uh, you know, doing your thing and, and trying to get someone out there to come forward for you. And I greatly appreciate you 
doing that. Uh, yeah, I appreciate so, you having me. Yeah. So um, you are in Eagle Pass, Texas, which means are you listed down there or are you listed at a clinic nearby or where where's your transplant I'm, clinic? I'm listed in San Antonio. Okay. So it's uh, about two and a half, three hours away from me, but it's the closest transplant center. It's where I have my doctors. It's where my team is. It's it's where everything is for me. So three hours. Wow, that's that's quite a ways. But um, it's easy for someone that wants to come forward because you are working with Kidney Solutions as well as Midwest Kidney Warriors. But Kidney Solutions handles. They have a coordinator, Shannon. And uh, so if people want to, instead of going on and trying to figure out how to get through all the internet questionnaires and stuff, all they got to do is call kidney solutions which is with kent bressler yes and uh he'll sit right there and walk people through the process oh yes and yeah. you don't have to be in south texas or anywhere to donate you know you could do donation wherever you are the they'll coordinate with you you'll get tested at your local hospital you know it just you don't have to be here to donate yeah my donor uh he was an indirect donor, my cousin, who gave through the voucher. He lives in Kansas City, Missouri. I live in Iowa, so we're about two hours away. And I think he's two and a half hours from the University of Iowa. So, no, you don't have to be in the same state even. Um, it's amazing. They can keep a kidney from a live person going uh, for, I think it's up to six hours, well, 12 hours on a deceased, but on a living, they try to keep it six hours. Uh, because they want it from warm blood to warm blood, which is the best way to do it. So, and they don't necessarily have to be your blood type either, uh, because there are ways they can do things for you. And what is your blood type? Since I asked, B positive. Okay, good. Hey, there's a good show called B positive too that I really have enjoyed. <laughs> but, but like we were saying, there are ways you can donate if you don't match up specifically. Uh, you can go through uh, doing a paired exchange. Are you familiar with paired exchange? Yes. Okay. Can you talk about that a little bit? How how a paired exchange works? Um. So we let's just say, for example, there's a group of four people in this group, and I'm 35 and B positive, and my donor is, let's just say, A, and he's 50, and there's another person who's around his age his blood type that he would pair better with so then they find a donor that'll pair better with me that that person donates with oh my gosh i'm confusing everybody um so it's just kind of like a crisscross thing they find somebody around the same age group and blood type to do a donation with them and we basically just swap donors yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's just, it's a swap. So yeah. if I'm going to donate to to Sonia, then, and uh, I can't because my blood type's different, then they will find somebody that I can donate to and whoever her donor is, or that person's donor would donate to Sonia. So yeah. they do, a, it's a paired exchange or it's, it's just a swap. And so that's a way you can do that. Um, and then there's also the living voucher program uh, where if, uh, and the, here's the thing with paired exchange they schedule it and you don't know when it's going to happen it just happens and there's some people out there that don't have that type of schedule where they can just up and go and take uh you know two to three weeks off of work to for recovery time 
Yeah. And some and some people even recover faster. Like my my second donor, Brad Hendrickson, he he recovered after two weeks. But uh, you can do what's called a living voucher. And are you familiar with living voucher? That one I'm not. Okay, so I'll speak about living voucher. So on a living voucher, what happens is that they list everything through the National Kidney Registry, just like they do on a paired exchange. And what happens is that because you can't do the paired exchange, you will donate a kidney to somebody through the National Kidney Registry, and you will save that life, and that person will get your kidney. And then what happens is that Sonia would get what's called the golden ticket, is how I like to refer to it. In other words, she gets the first available kidney that uh, is matching her through the National Kidney Registry, through a living donation, or through the deceased donor. Uh, and well, I can't say it's the first, but it actually gives you like 200 years added on to your time of dialysis. So pretty much you're you're right there at the top. When my cousin, let me put it this way. When my cousin did the living voucher for me, I got a kidney seven days later. He donated on Monday. The following Monday, I got my kidney. That's how fast it can happen. Uh, I didn't expect it to happen that fast, but it can happen that fast. So that's how the living voucher works, is that you can still donate and it gives Zonia the golden ticket to where as soon as a match is found for her, either deceased or living, she gets the option to take it. And it's a great program. It's new. It's only been out, um, I think, maybe two, three years. It hasn't been out a heck of a long time. But uh, it's it's a great thing out there and uh, a wonderful thing to take advantage of as well. So, um, so let's talk with um, your support person. Who do you have as a support person? I have my mom. I have my mom too. In yeah, fact, yeah. I think she's saying hi. <laughs> so you've got your mom. How's that going for you with having mom there for you? I, it's a blessing. You know, she's here for me. She she does everything for me. Yeah, it's it's it, amazing. And it definitely makes the bond tighter because I know yeah. with my mom helping me out, our bond. Uh, became a lot stronger yes. in the process, um, especially because, you know, they have to be there for everything. So anything you're hearing, they're hearing. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes, you know, with moms, we tend to have to be a little bit stronger for them, too. Yeah. Uh, sure. so, but but it's nice to have that person there that can support and that you can talk to. Mm -hmm. um, yes. So that always, always comes in handy. And so um, now with your listing, through you said was where again san antonio uh, yeah san antonio methodist Transplant. okay now sometimes they'll kind of tell you you know where you're listed at do they give you any idea of where you're where you're at on the list or anything um because i am on a kidney pancreas um <laughs> love you too mom because i i'm listed at, um the kidney pancreas i should be at the top of the list but they still don't know how long that's going to be so it could be any day now it could be two three years from now yeah yeah and that's the thing about it man is that it can just come at yeah. i mean uh who was it lillian uh i think you remember lillian yeah. uh we i was working with her and her mm -hmm. call came in the afternoon they told her to be prepared and then her call came at two in the morning saying come on in yeah and uh that same thing i think that happened with alan too um yeah it was an early in the morning call so yeah you never know when that's going to come uh you definitely yeah. got to be available so 
what is the, I guess, with, with looking at this whole thing, once you get a kidney, what's the one thing you're looking, what are you looking forward to with getting, getting a kidney and having this transplant and having somewhat of a normal life? Well, I always, I've been very adamant about this, that as soon as I get my kidney and I'm able to travel, I want to go to the beach. I haven't been to the beach in forever with having a, a chest catheter, with having the PD catheter, you your your risk of infection is like so much higher so you don't really want to get into water you know right. so i haven't gone swimming in forever so i want to go to the beach i want to go surfing that's just my first but i do want to get a job i i want to go back to working yeah so what was it you have where did you work or what was your experience with work um, I was a security. Oh, okay, cool. I was a security, but I'm following the whole uh, nursing routes. Oh, nice. So, yeah. Cool. So, yeah, in security, you ever he have to headbutt anybody? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, do I really answer that? <laughs> no, you don't have to answer. Okay. But that would be fun to headbutt somebody, but no, you don't want to do that. I didn't so. quite headbutt them, but I did got I got in a tussle with somebody. Oh wow, wow, yeah, you don't want to do that. So, um, I guess mentally, um, how do you deal with this? Because um, I know there's a lot of it's a roller coaster, people, but there's a lot of up and downs on this. So mentally, how do you deal with this? How do you keep yourself positive and going and pushing through? I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just something that you do. You know, you have to stay positive. Think I'm gonna get a kidney soon. Mm -hmm. You know, I I try to stay positive more for my kids than I do for myself. Right. So that just it motivates me. You know, and then I've got people that I talk to, and I mean, I have you. You know, I you and complain all the time you know i just i i have my little support group you know right. i our support group on facebook as well you know i just we get to vent and get new experiences you know um a couple weeks ago i ended up at the hospital and i was just nauseous and vomiting just i couldn't hold anything down it was just i was sick and in talking to one of our support groups, I found out that one of the medicines that I was taking caused that, caused the nausea and vomiting. So I talked to my team and we changed it. And literally the very next day after changing it, I woke up feeling good. You know, I wasn't nauseous anymore. So they're, they're a really good support system. Yeah. Well, that's good to have and you know we've just got a couple minutes left this has gone really fast this hour i'm just like shocked that it's <laughs> it's already gone this fast okay. hold on a second i hate it when it's small there when it's bigger because people are watching on cell phones so i always try to keep the bigger screen yeah. so that way that way it's good so hopefully this is working out better so everybody can see it <laughs> so um i'm gonna i'm gonna put you solo and you just anything that's on your mind or if there's somebody out there looking that's considering donating I mean, what do you what do you want to say to people um, about uh, about kidney disease or about you know, your need for a transplant? Okay, um, so I'm kind of shy and awkward, so I'm I'm sorry, y'all, but 
consider donating. It's it's an easy thing to live with one kidney. Um, you have to share your spare, as we all say. Uh, it would be helping a lot of people. You know, it would save a life. Consider donation. Not just to me. There's plenty of people out there who really need one and who really deserve a chance at life. Thank y'all. Yeah, and I appreciate you coming on tonight and just sharing your story and getting it out there. And, you know, people that are watching this right now, uh, if you come across this on any of the social media platforms, please share this. That's the best way that you can help spread the word for Sonia to find a donor is please uh, share this and make sure you comment and make sure you like and make sure you ask questions on there. And I'll try to get on an answer um, as well. But uh, we definitely want to get this out there. So. Um, I guess we're going to end the show. And the only thing I could say to everyone out there is please, if you've ever considered donating, please, please look at Sonia as a person to donate to. Uh, if you're thinking about donating when you pass away, make sure that you hit that box on your driver's license because you don't need the organs when you go to the grave and you can save all kinds of lives uh, and you can help so many people out. So I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. I greatly appreciate it. Sonia, I thank you so much for coming on. And uh, thank you we, for having me. It's always yeah. a pleasure to talk with yeah, you. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. All right, guys. Well, thanks for tuning in tonight. And again, make sure that you like and subscribe. Make sure you share this. Make sure you get the word out. And thank you all so much again uh, for being being here and, uh, and uh, listening in.